Building a business is hard. Maintaining healthy relationships with those that you care about is hard. Staying fit and healthy in your body, your mind, and your emotions is hard. This podcast is about finding and sharing tools, strategies, and experiences that may help you to achieve and maintain moderate success in your life, whatever that means to you. There is a ton of content created by the billionaires, the ultra-successful athletes, and by people that are at a level that the vast majority of us will just never get to. And if you're anything like me, I'm totally okay with that. This is a place where we talk about how to build a great business, but not necessarily a massive one. A place to talk about how we build a life that is balanced and integrated, but not necessarily optimized to levels that are not realistic for most of us. In short, it's a place where we explore how to be moderately successful. The work will always remain yours, and for the most part, it's simple, but not easy. I want to challenge you to be more than just a passive listener. I want to challenge you to take whatever resonates with you from this episode and to teach it to somebody that you think will benefit from it, and to do so in the next 24 hours. This will embed the learnings for yourself, and you'll be helping someone else as well as the podcast. Lastly, please share this with whoever you think needs to have this in their lives. The more reach we can get, the more impact we can have. With that said, let's get into it. Hey guys, good to be back. It's been a little while. Done some travel. It's been amazing to be back in Cape Town for the first time in three and a bit years. But now I'm back home in Australia. So today I wanted to talk about leadership, but I'm not actually sure if this is the right title, but I'm still just going to call it leadership. I think about this a lot. I think about leadership in the context of business a lot. I think about leadership in the context of my kids and my wife a lot. I think of the context in the sort of broader environment or, or communities that I'm that I'm part of. And then, you know, since we've since we've exited our business, I now sort of think about it quite a lot in the context of being led, which is an interesting lens for me because I've always been a founder until until recently. Whenever I think about this though, I kind of end up coming back to this concept or uh, sort of belief, I guess, that in order to be an effective leader, you you absolutely have to have your own shit together first. That self-care is just not about you. It's about those that you lead, those that you have influence over, those that you want to build and nurture relationships with, that it's really not a selfish thing. It's it's kind of a prerequisite for being effective if people are relying on you for whatever that is. I don't want to derail today into self-care. I just think it's really critical that almost just before we even talk about this, that there's kind of like this acceptance, at least for me, that until I have a solid practice and behavior sets and habits, et cetera, in terms of taking care of myself physically, mentally, emotionally, it's just really unlikely that I'm going to be an effective leader, at least not sustainably anyway. I think for short bursts of time and periods, maybe, but probably not long-term. Um, and this is something that I've had to learn the hard way, is, is this kind of times when there've been sort of deep personal sacrifice in order to lead teams or businesses through difficult times that works for a short amount of time, but, but not sustainably. So I think it's just a kind of like a framing for the conversation that, you know, if you sort of think about things like Maslow's hierarchy of needs or certain other sort of frameworks, it's kind of like there's almost no point doing level five until you've done level one. And for me, level one in leadership is actually about just making sure you've got your own shit together so that you're coming from a strong foundation. So let's sort of talk first about, I guess, leadership and like the business context. I mean, I think this is kind of all the same, but it's useful at least for me to break these out into almost like 
categories. So I think from a business perspective, if we're talking about small business, which is where the vast majority of my experience lies, I'm not a corporate guy. Um, I work in a, in a large organization now. But aside from the last sort of year and a half, I've, I've only got experience in small businesses. So let's say businesses up to about 50 people. I think when you are the leader in a business like that, one of the first things that we need to just get good at and comfortable with is having the responsibility of setting the vision and the direction of the business and bringing people along with you. That is a very, very difficult thing to do. And I think when leaders get this right, businesses really flourish. It's a very difficult thing to set a vision in a business. It's like there are usually a lot of variables. There's a lot of stuff that you're uncertain of. It's not actually always that clear. And yet you've still got to do it because if you don't do it, you create opacity in the organization. You create confusion. And when people have a lack of clarity, that's when politics begin to start. That's when people begin to optimize purely for themselves and not for the greater good of the thing that they belong to, in this case, the, the business. When they have clarity, however, it's easier for people to contribute at a higher level. It's easier for people to find that autonomy, find that purpose that they need to contribute at their high level. So, you know, first and foremost, it's about really doing the work to figure out what the vision is for the company, the direction, and then to bring people along with you. And that bringing the people along with you part is, is, is probably even more difficult. This is about being that center and that source of confidence and sort of like, it will be okay, but also being completely willing to shift your direction as and when things change around you. And I'll speak a bit more about that later. It's also about meeting people where they are. I think a lot of leaders get this wrong is that they just kind of expect everybody to sort of know where they are. I was certainly very guilty about this in Nona. I used to go away and spend tons of time reading about a thing or researching a thing or speaking to people about a thing. And I'd come into my leadership team super pumped and just kind of expect everybody to catch up really, really quickly. When I had the luxury of six weeks worth of looking at a thing, they had like five minutes of me going bananas about something I was excited about. That's not meeting people where they are. We need to meet people where they are and we need to bring people along with us, but in the way that they need to be brought along. And this is a lot, very difficult thing to do. And it's certainly not something I'm going to try and cover in the next 30 seconds, but it's really just something to think about. Don't expect your employees to care as much as you do. I think this is a mistake that I made for many years, thinking that people cared as much as I do. You know, you might get lucky and you might get certain rare individuals that truly do care about the business they're employed by as much as people who have ownership in the business. Obviously, this is why, you know, share schemes are very popular in, in venture-backed businesses, giving equity, getting skin in the game. It's for good reason. It, it works well. Not every business can do that, though. If you're running a small business that is not venture-backed, where equity doesn't really make sense, if you're in like a services-type business, you just can't expect people to care as much as you do. And if you, if you do expect that, I think you're going to get disappointed. And also, the expectations become a bit unrealistic. I think if you can work from a place of this person doesn't benefit the way that I, as the founder, benefits, you come at things in a slightly different way. And then you start asking the question, well, well, what do they care about? When I'm talking about the vision, bringing people along with me, and they're sitting there, all they're thinking about is what does this mean for me? And if you can think about this while you're trying to bring people along with you, while you're setting the vision, it's clear what it means to you as the, as the leader or the founder but is it clear about what this means for the employee who doesn't get upside from a share 
you know, for, for the value of your business increasing necessarily and amongst other monetary things. Having that question in your mind can be really useful. Just when you're talking to your team to put yourself in their shoes and go, they're thinking, what does this mean for me? And that's how we should be communicating is answering that question. What does this mean for you? The next thing is clarity. I think when you're leading in a business, you have an almost unlimited and unending amount of complexity that's coming your way. Markets are changing. Pricing is changing. The labor, labor markets are crazy difficult. Technical innovation, frameworks, business operating models, strategy, taxes, just, I mean, it's endless, the complexity. And that's kind of like, it's one of your jobs when you're leading leaders, especially in a small business, you're leading the leadership team is to, for you to take that complexity on, to get the smartest people you possibly can around you and to continually take in a lot of complexity. But when it's time to communicate to your business and to your team, we really should be aiming to distill this down into as clear and simple concepts or focuses or objectives as possible. I think it was, I don't know who it was that quoted this, but there's a quote that I like, I'm probably going to botch it, but it's something on the lines of make it as simple as possible, but no simpler. So it's kind of like not oversimplifying and patronizing and missing detail, but certainly not bringing in all of the detail that you have to sift through. A large part of this, in my experience, is sort of being the filter for all this complexity, almost endless complexity. And bringing it down into simple, concise concepts that we repeat and repeat and repeat. And that's actually the next point is, is repetition. There's a saying that goes something along the lines of people hear things for the first time once we've heard them three times. Sometimes say, some people say seven times, some people say eight times, but you get the point. Don't assume that just because you've said something that people have heard that. And even, even more so, even if they've heard it, don't assume that they've understood it or accepted it. So repetition can feel very awkward, but it's something that we really learned is incredibly important. I'd, I'd almost say necessary. When you're talking about things like vision and values and missions and North Stars and essential intents and OKRs and all of these things that are really about focus and direction, this repetition part of it is so important. The other thing about this is if you're sitting on a leadership team, you often have the luxury of having weekly meetings and just, you know, repetition, repetition and discussion and offsites and these things. But a lot of people in your business just don't have that. So they might only hear this from you every quarter or every year or whenever it is that you address them. But if you can shift that to doing this like every week in a company-wide stand-up or an all-hands or a town hall or whatever you want to call it, and you're just repeating you're being clear about these are the objectives. This is the vision. Here is our North Star. Here is our essential intent. These are the OKRs. Simple and regular. It actually makes a very big difference. It took us a long time to sort of figure out what our values really were at Nona. And then it took an even longer time to kind of, let's say, socialize them around the business. But with repetition, 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 it begins to become part of the business's DNA and you begin to then have people challenge them and, and engage in them. And that's really what you're looking for. I remember writing something when we were experiment with remote, when we were experimenting with remote, this was before COVID. I wrote an article and I did a few talks on this and sort of my conclusion around communication was, you know, in a remote environment, at least when you think you're communicating enough as, as a leader, you probably want to triple it and, and you'll be about right. And it's a similar thing here. It's like, you're going to feel like you're saying this too much. You're going to feel like you're sort of, you know, repeating this vision and, and these objective things too much. But you must remember that you're saying it to a lot of people. Each of the individuals are probably hearing it, whatever, one-tenth the amount that you're actually saying it because you're saying it at an individual basis, at a team basis, at a company-wide basis. 
So basically, like my rule of thumb is you just you can't re- repeat this stuff enough. You, you just can't. The next thing, which is like, you know, we all know about this, but it's it's just rarely done. And, and I think when I see it done well, it's just so impactful and it's modeling behavior, right? So one of the things I think about a lot, I have a young daughter and, you know, when I think about her choosing a, a partner at some point in her in her world, I think the best thing that I can do to give her the best chance of being, you know, making good decisions around who she chooses to sort of, let's say, connect with in her, in her world. It's not about telling her to choose a good partner. It's not about sort of academically educating her how to make this decision, but really it's about just treating her mother really, really well in front of her. If my daughter sees the way that I treat her mom and how her mom treats me, and we can model a very healthy, respectful relationship in front of her all the time. My belief anyway, I mean, I guess I won't know this until it happens, but my belief is that that's the biggest chance of success to create what good looks like, to create what acceptable looks like, not by telling her, but by showing her and by showing her through modeling behavior. And I think this is done very badly overall as, as leaders. It's kind of most leaders that I've experienced, and I absolutely used to be like this until I was called on it, was way more around like, do as I say, not as I do. So do this, but then I don't do it. Have this level of excellence, but then I'm lazy. Don't cut corners there, but then I cut corners, right? And I think this is probably one of the most impactful things that I've seen, you know, when it's done. It's been one of the most impactful things. I think this is about, you know, I'm quite a stickler for punctuality. Like I'm never, ever late for a meeting, ever. If I am, it's for some crazy, ridiculous reason. Really, I can't think more than five times in my life that I've been late for something. I build in margins for error in traffic. I build in margins for error in my Zoom calls. I build in margin for error in just about everything that I ever do. Because for me, it's really important. It shows a ton of respect when you are always on time for people. Personally, I also think it shows a a bit of a disrespect when you don't value other people's time and you're five minutes late or three minutes late or seven minutes late, especially if you're doing it often. Now, as a leadership role, because it's not a debate about what you think about being on time or not, like that's not the point. But in a leadership role, if you value that kind of thing in your business and you want people to do that, you have to model that behavior. If you don't, you cannot expect it from other people. And if you're forcing people to do it, but you're not doing it, you're going to lose credibility pretty damn quickly. That's a really simple example, like being on time. But when you now extend this to like an attitude of excellence, an attitude of, you know, dotting the I's and crossing the T's, this begins to show in a business a lot, depending on what type of business you're in. Most of my career has been a Nona, it was a services business. I speak about this quite a lot, but because the business model was a pretty crap business model, it meant that our execution had to be excellent. So for us to just sort of survive, our execution had to be excellent. We had to model that behavior to build that into the culture. We couldn't say, hey, all of you guys, you must be excellent. We're going to be crap. We had to show what excellence meant. We had to show what it meant to care about every single thing that you do as a leader. And I remember one of, we had a really amazing compliment from one of our clients once that actually be recorded in one of our videos where it said, Nona is the type of business that paints the back of the cupboard. Because if you want to be the best in the world, that's the kind of thing that you do. Nobody sees the back of the cupboard, right? And it's that sort of attitude. And there's a phrase that I really love, which is how you do anything is how you do everything. And I certainly don't manage to keep this up all the time. But where this shows up for me, I've got it stuck on my laptop. I've got it stuck in my office. It's sort of all around me, this little phrase. Where it shows up for me is how do I behave when nobody's watching? What do I do when there's no one there to catch me out? 
am I still thorough? Am I still excellent in what I'm trying to do? And it's a really, really great way to hold myself accountable is to just constantly have this question of like, what am I doing when nobody's watching? Because if we can get into the habit of being excellent, whatever that means to you, excellent will mean many different things to many different people. But if we can get to the habit of being excellent and the things we want to be excellent and the things we value, the things we care about, if we can get into the habit of being like that when nobody is watching, we're absolutely going to get into the habit of doing it when people are watching. So this stuff might sound sort of airy-fairy and fluffy, but it's really not. People do watch when you're a leader. People do observe your behavior. They do notice the small things. And modeling this behavior can have a massive impact on the attitude and the values and the culture of your business. It's not about hanging words on a wall. It's about living the behaviors that you expect from your team or teams. And this can be really difficult. I want to double click on something I spoke about a little bit earlier, which is this the strong opinions loosely held concept. I don't know where I first heard it. Many years ago, I heard it and I, I really love it. In the leadership context, you know, if you're anything like me, pretty, pretty sort of ADD and, you know, follow the shiny object, that, that sort of thing, very entrepreneurial, very, very sort of, if you follow the EOS stuff, very visionary type of traits. The risk of this is that you sort of stand up in front of your business and you go, hey, we're going to go in this direction. And then a month later you go, no, actually, we're going to go in that direction. And then three months later you say, actually, we're going to build these things. And so it goes. And that might be good for you and your brain. And you might enjoy that, but not everybody will enjoy that. And in fact, you can quite seriously erode your sort of credibility with your team if that's your kind of leadership style of just this kind of shiny object or you read a book and now you're changing the entire direction of the business or you go to a seminar and you're revamping your culture or what have you. Now, I want to be clear about this. I think it's critically important that we are continually as leaders looking for new content, reading books, going to whatever, conferences, seminars, whatever it is, wherever you get your sort of exposure to new things. And I think it's vital that we are constantly bringing in new things. But I think the way that we communicate this needs to be quite specific. And it took me a long time to get this right. And I don't even know if I did get it right, but it took me a long time to even notice that, that I was doing it badly. And what, what seemed to work quite well was this sort of concept of strong opinions loosely held. So th this is what I mean by that. Instead of doing what I mentioned before, you know, we're doing this and then we're doing that and then we're doing the next thing and now we're flipping again. It's really a different narrative of going, hey, look, at the moment as the leader, I, I've got pretty strong conviction of this direction. I've got strong conviction of this direction because of speaking to you guys, because of market data, because of, you know, whatever, like I've got strong conviction and here's why. We're going to go in this direction, but I'm going to continually listen to your feedback. I'm going to continually be looking at the market. I'm going to be continually looking at the environment and data. And if stuff changes, then we will change direction again. And then if you do change direction again, you can now continue with that narrative. Hey guys, this changed over here for these reasons. Now we're going to go in this direction. I have conviction in this direction for these reasons. And if data and information changes, I'll change. It's a very, very different narrative. The first narrative is very much like, oh God, Mike read another book this week and now he wants to implement that framework or change this direction or do the other thing versus, okay, this is considered, it's strong conviction, but also this person is actually open to information and wants information and that information might, you know, dictate the direction of the company. So this concept of strong opinions loosely held has really helped me. And I think it's a great way to think about how you are communicating the decisions that you're making as a leader to the people you're leading. And then I think the last one I want to speak about today is finding comfort in the discomfort. I think the bigger your business gets, the more complex it gets, the more moving 
parts there are, the more variables there are. And I think, at least in my observation, the less clear things are. Now, maybe it's just me, but as, as Nona grew and now me being exposed to much bigger businesses, I think it's almost impossible to be completely confident and clear in exactly what you need to do and when across everything. I think great leaders feel calm and feel confident, not because they have all the answers, all the, all the information, but because they're comfortable being a little bit uncomfortable. And I think as a leader, we need to find the ability to find comfort in the discomfort or at least acceptance in the discomfort. And it's not just so that we can be clear headed to make good decisions, but it's also because if we're comfortable and if we're calm, just like modeling behavior, we're going to model the tone of the business. If we're relaxed, if we're calm, if we're seemingly in control, even though we don't have all the answers, it's going to have a good calming confident effect on the business. If we're frantic and erratic and all over the place and anxious and freaking out, it's not going to have a great impact on the business. There is a very fine line here to walk because sometimes as the leader, you are completely and utterly freaked out, but you just can't show that. And these are not like binary things, right? But really this phrase again is useful to hang on to, at least it was for me, which is, can I find comfort in the discomfort? Can I accept the fact that I don't have all the answers and still move forward anyway? And this also then helps with some decision-making sort of frameworks. There's a really great decision-making model that I, I love. It's very simple. I think I first heard about it in a book called, I think it's called Togetherness by a guy called Vivek Murphy. He was a U.S. Surgeon General. And he speaks about, you know, one-way door decisions and, and, and revolving door decisions. And that's pretty self-explanatory. You know, I'll give a quick explanation anyway. Whereas revolving door decisions are decisions you can make, but you can come back from them. Right. It might be a little bit expensive or you might waste some time or what have you, but they're not, we can reverse them in some way, right? That they're evolving. You can go through them and you can go, oh, this was a mistake or there's a better way and you can come back through them. It doesn't mean there won't be a cost, but it means you can come back from them. One way door decisions, pretty much as it sounds, you cannot reverse them, right? These are not things that you can come back from. Now, he doesn't speak about this in the book, but what I've come to sort of realize here is it's a bit like training. You know, I remember when I was training really hard for, for mountain biking, one of the guys I was training with, super strong guy from Spain, he sort of said, you know, the biggest mistake we make when we're trying to get really, really strong is when we're supposed to train hard, we don't train hard enough. But also when we're supposed to rest, we don't rest enough. We spend too much of our time in the middle. And this decision-making thing I've observed in myself and around me is a similar sort of thing. So we have revolving door decisions and we have one-way door decisions. Now, my observation in, in myself and others is the revolving door decisions we spend too much time thinking about. We agonize over them. We get into like analysis paralysis. We do too much thinking, too much just, just energy consumption and time wasting. We're actually, we should be much quicker with those sort of decisions. We should just go through them because we know we can come back from them within reason. On the other side, the one-way door decisions, we don't agonize enough over them. We don't analyze enough over them. We should take a long time, a very sort of be very, very thorough on the one-way door decisions. And the problem is we spend too much time in the middle. We overanalyze and spend too much time on the revolving door decisions. And we don't actually analyze enough. And we don't spend enough time on the one-way door decisions. So that decision-making framework has really helped me as well. It's like, what are the revolving door decisions that you can actually move on pretty quickly and really view them as experiments? And what are the one-way door decisions that really do have enormous impact that you cannot come back from? And those are the ones where you should really be spending your time rather than just sitting and spending most of your time in the middle. 
So as always, you know, <laughs> leadership is very nuanced and means different things to different people. But these are some things that I've sort of noticed along the way and learned along the way. And, you know, hopefully this is just at least a little bit thought-provoking or helpful to you. As always, my preferred channel is LinkedIn. And if you want to discuss this or share anything, go ahead and reach out to me on LinkedIn. If you want to talk about working with me as a business improvement coach, please reach out either on mike at smbmastery.com.au or you can find me on LinkedIn. Please do share this podcast with whoever you think will get value from it. And if you have five minutes, please do give us a rating and review. They really do help with making the podcast visible. The link is in the show notes. Thanks for listening and I'll be back soon with the next episode.